Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We've been talking about being empowered by the Spirit way back there, Brother Terry, way, way back there. Empowered by the Spirit of the living God. This is lesson number four. And just quickly for a quick review, we've been talking about how the fact that God's work requires supernatural power because it is a supernatural work. And we can't think that we can do what God has called us to do in our own strength, power, or ability. So it's important we understand our need. And if anyone's life clearly, clearly teaches this or shows this, it's the life of Samson. Samson couldn't do anything without the power of God. But with the power of God, he could do everything, praise God, including stand against a thousand Philistines and overcome them with the jawbone of a mule. Think about that. One man, a thousand, no match. Praise God. But without the power and anointing of God, couldn't do a thing. So as we continue our study, let's look at the book of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in yourself. Thank you. You corrected me on that. Be strong how in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness and high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Finally, my, that you may be able to stand within the evil, standing the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins good about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And finally, my brethren, be strong how? In the Lord and the power of his might. The next verse, verse 18 says, and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And so that's another part that's really not mentioned as a weapon, but we believe that it's still a part of our arsenal that we can use against the powers of darkness. Now, people everywhere are searching for power. Athletes need power to accomplish their goals. As a matter of fact, in order for them to do so, they put themselves through rigorous training and so forth and so on so that they can either run a long-distance race and win the race or they could lift weights and enough heavy weights to win a competition. I've seen people down at the Y just going crazy with workouts that I wouldn't even want to talk about or think about so that they can just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And not just men, women as well. You know, just working out with heavier and heavier and heavier weights because they're in some kind of a competition. And so what they're looking for is more physical power to achieve their goals. Then, of course, you have leaders of nations. And these leaders are looking for a different kind of power. They're looking for power to rule, authority to rule. And sometimes they'll tap into and rely upon either political powers or military forces, nuclear powers, and so on. You know, just become a 
powerhouse having the arsenal that they need to stand against either any kind of foe or enemy or other nations that would try to in any way come against them. Aren't you glad that you live in one of the most powerful nations in all the world? And aren't you glad that in this nation of power, praise God, we're using our power correctly uh, to help people, to bless people, to protect people and so on? I really believe that God raised up this nation to really to help protect Israel because we have been doing that all these so many years. And because of the power that we possess, that of course was God given because of the abilities he's given us. And I believe that because, is because of uh, becoming new creations in Christ Jesus and really learning more you know, about even military forces and powers that really we have hold this status in the world. But praise God for the powers that we possess and that we have so that we can, praise God, kind of police the world. But then, of course, this is nothing new. This goes all the way back to whom? Lucifer. Lucifer wanted power to overthrow God, didn't he? He tried to tap into certain spiritual laws so he can do that and actually thought he would be able to do that, but he did not succeed because all power belongs to God and God's not going to let anybody like him, someone that he created, overcome him and dethrone him. Then you have others. For example, there was an individual that was a Satan worshiper. And during an interview with another person who was a believer, he was asked the question, why do you worship Satan? His answer was very simple. Because of power. He gives me power. And to be honest with you, there is some truth to that. Do you remember way back in the, the time of the Exodus, or before the Exodus, when they were in Egypt and God wanted to bring them out? And God sent Moses with Aaron's rod that budded and turned into a snake. Didn't the magicians of Egypt do everything, everything that Aaron's rod did that budded? Do you remember that? Copied everything, mimicked everything, except for the one when it turned into a serpent. Moses ate up all the other serpents, showing that, look, you're nothing at all. But I want to read something to you, show you something here. This is from Like, the, like a Mighty Wind, anybody? I've, I've used the book before, referenced it before, okay? I want to read, read this just to show us exactly, you know, what it's like in other lands where people are bound by the forces of darkness. God performed many miracles through our teams, proving that he is just as powerful today as he was in the first century. I remember how one of the teams went into a village to preach the gospel. The pagan priest said to them, you can preach to us about Jesus, but we want to tell you we have known the devil for many generations. And if we want healing, the devil gives it to us. If we want rain, the devil gives that. Whatever we want, the devil supplies. We have our own Bible too, and our God supply all our needs according to their riches. But what does that sound like? Okay. Of course, they don't have a real Bible like ours, but they have recorded many unusual experiences and evil manifestations, and they worship by these. This priest went on to say, if you tell us about the new God, let him prove that he is more powerful than our gods. The priest told him. The team didn't know what to do, so they prayed together and asked the Lord to help them. The Lord said, tell those people, if they want your God to prove himself to them, that he is more powerful than their gods or demons, let them gather together, and I will prove myself. Then the team said to the head pagan priest, gather all your people and tell them to come, and we will see what will happen. The pagan priest was excited. He wanted to see if Christians could prove himself, if the Christians could prove himself. And they came together, and about a thousand of them, with the head pagan priest in the front. The team stood across them. 
the team members just lifted up their hands and said, God, you said to us, go out and preach the gospel. You said that many signs shall follow those that believe, that in your name they shall cast out devils. God, these people here want you to prove yourself that you are more powerful than their devils. Now in the name of Jesus, we bind and cast out all demonic power that has ruled these villages and people for these many generations. Because of Christ's shed blood on Calvary, we command them to leave in the name of Jesus. Soon the head pagan priest began to tremble. Then he began to cry. And then he said, brothers, sirs, I want your God, Jesus, right now. It was such a quick transformation, the team members didn't know what to say. Why did you change your mind, sir? One of them finally said. Oh, Jesus is more powerful than the devils, he replied. How do you know that? One of the team members asked. I'm a pagan priest, he replied. I have talked with the devils. I, I know many of them by name. Then he started to cry and couldn't control himself. What's the matter? We don't know what's going on. Someone in the team said, yes, yes, I know the pagan priest replied, but when you prayed in the name of Jesus and bound all the demonic power here and commanded them to flee, do you know what happened? No, the team said, we don't know what happened. You just tell us what happened. I tell you, said the priest, I saw with my own eyes, I heard with my own ears, all the demonic power that has ruled this village they just gathered together one by one from the biggest to the smallest and they ran away crying. Jesus won't permit us to stay here. We must go because Jesus wants these people. Jesus must be a tremendous God. I want to know Jesus. The team just said simply, if you want Jesus, we want to show you the way. So they opened up the Bible and very simply showed him how to accept Jesus Christ as his personal savior. He did it right away and all the other people followed right afterward. Praise God, they all got saved as a result. See, sometimes without testimonies like this here, we don't maybe see, you know, what's taking place in the unseen realm of the Spirit. But we have power. And for Him, God, even to say to us that we can tap into that power, that we should be strong in the power of His might. Can you imagine how privileged we all are to be able to tap into the resources of God's almighty power and use the power of the name of Jesus and the authority that he was given when he was raised up from the dead to live our lives upon this earth and stand against whatever it is that comes against us in this life. We are the only people group upon the planet, believers that is, that have this authority, this right, and this power. It belongs to each and every one of us. So we are instructed to be strong, not in ourselves, but in the Lord and in the power of his might. Hallelujah. What an invitation. Think about it. Not to be religious, but to be empowered with power from on high. To have a reality with God, a relationship with God, a oneness with God, interaction with God, so that His strength, His power, His might is imparted to each and every one of us, so that outflowing from our being are rivers of living water, praise God, that transforms the lives of those that are all around us. Now, would God tell us to do something that we're not capable of doing? Absolutely not. So if he said be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, then guess what? We can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Look at that verse, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 again. My, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, not yourself, and in the power of his might. What we need to accomplish, what we need to do on this planet requires supernatural power, power from on high, the mighty working of God's power that raised up Jesus from the dead. And each and every one of us has been invited to partake of that power. It's available to each and every one of us so that we can use that power to accomplish the purposes of God. 
in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our ministries, whatever it is. Verse 11, notice what it says in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He didn't say put on your own armor, but put on whose armor? The armor of God. It's his power, it's his armor. We need to be protected by the armor of God. It's his power, it's his armor, so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, the strategies of the wicked one, the fiery darts that he sends our way. So it's up to us to make a decision that, you know, we're not going to approach the things that the enemy brings our way in our own strength, power, or ability, our own wisdom, our own understanding. But we are going to look to heaven to get direction from the Lord, knowing that it's by his power that we overcome, not our own. And we're not going to look at our own inadequacies. We're going to look at his adequacies. We're going to look at his strength, his power. We can do all things through Christ, who is the strength of our lives. And so although we have an enemy out there that wants to destroy us, we have a living God that came to give us life and that more abundantly. And he's more powerful. He's proved himself to be more powerful than all the power of the enemy. And he's given us the privilege of using the power of his name so that we can rise up above the power of the enemy and destroy the works of darkness. So whatever it is that he uses, what his devices to get us to walk away from the truth, well, guess what? He's not capable of doing it. He doesn't have the power to do it. His power is found in deception. And if he can deceive people to believe wrong, then he can control their lives. But when you and I, as Jesus said, learn to know the truth, then knowing the truth, praise God, will liberate, deliver, and set us free. I've been set free from religion. Have you? And I thank God that I have. I've been set free from believing in myself, my own personal abilities and strengths, even my own intelligence. I know me. I would not have called me if I was God. Would you have called you if you were God? <laughs> Knowing your own inadequacies, inabilities, and shortcomings, and faults, and failures, and all that. But no, God looks beyond that. Do you remember when Moses said, now why would you want to send me? I can't talk. I can't speak. I've got this impediment. You know, I don't have a good vocabulary or anything like that. And what did the Lord say to him? Who made your mouth? Who can put words in your mouth, praise God, that will enable you to do what I've called you to do? So in other words, don't look at yourself. Don't look at your own ability. Don't look at your own inability. Don't look at your inadequacies. Look to me because I have for you power from on high that will enable you to do far above beyond whatever you thought you can do when you're empowered by him. Amen. Okay, look at them. Verse 12, and verse 12, for we wrestle not against mother-in-laws. We wrestle not against people, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice he describes four levels of demonic activity. In the kingdom of, da uh, of darkness, there is an organized army. And we know by this revelation given to the apostle Paul, that there are lesser demons, and there are people that are called, or demons called spiritual wickedness, which is the highest level of demons in high places. 
And they seemingly gathered together to develop certain strategies to do what? Attack people of God. And I guarantee you with and no shadow of a doubt, whenever you step out of the arena of the natural world and you put up your faith antenna, you become a target for the enemy. I become a target for the enemy. Because he knows if we stay in faith long enough, we're going to have manifestations of God in our lives. And so whenever your faith is set in motion, and you step out of the boat and start walking on the water, he's going to try to bring distractions your way and my way to get us to walk away. He's going to use all kind of wild strategies, all kind of devices to get us to do what? Abort our faith project. Because you see, it's faith in God that enables us to overcome. How do we overcome this world? Even our faith. How do we resist the devil? With your faith, Peter said. And so obviously he's going to attack us in that particular area. Now, they use all these strategies. And for example, what they'll try to do is to get people to think that they can't overcome. So they'll escape reality by becoming addicted to certain things. Having substance abuses. In some cases, he'll target their emotions and use anger to destroy families, to destroy relationships, to destroy marriages, verbal abuse, and that sort of thing. And you see, when the flesh is not controlled, and the flesh does its own thing, we can be victimized by it. It can take us down a path that we don't want to really be on. The scripture says the flesh needs to be crucified. Have you tried to crucify your own flesh? We can't do it in our own strength or ability. Billy Paul is saying this, look, to do this, you need empowered by God. You can't do this on your own. He himself said, I've got to beat up my flesh every day. What do you think he beats it up with? The word of God and prayer. What did Jesus say? The flesh is weak. Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So do what? Pray. Pray that you enter not in temptation. Pray that you don't give in to the lust of the flesh. Pray that you rise up above these forces and these powers that come against you in this world and in this life. So it's up to us to what tap into the resources he's provided for us. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's talking about our position in Christ. In the last three chapters, he's talking about practical Christianity and how we can rise up above the darkness that we have in our mind, get our minds renewed to be changed from glory to glory in the spirit of our minds, how we can submit to his leadership, submit to him and reverence and honor him, loving our wives, loving our families, etc., etc., and even when we work in a workplace. You know, Christianity, we're empowered in Christianity to do what? To live a Christ-like life, an example everywhere we go. We let our light shine among men. They see our good works. They glorify our Father in heaven. We are a testimony everywhere we go. We're a witness everywhere we go. And as an ambassador, praise God, people see Christ in us. We make decisions not to let our flesh rule us. We make a decision that by our spirit, we rule the flesh. And that's what he's talking about. You can't do this in your own strength or ability. In other words, it requires for us on a daily basis. If need be, when we rise up in the morning, Father, without you, without your divine enablement and empowerment, I can't do anything. I am nothing. I know nothing. Have nothing. I can do nothing. And I'm aware of that. I humble myself before you. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I need your power today. I stir up the gift of God in me today. I'm not looking to myself, to my own strength or abilities. I'm stirring up that which is on the inside of me. And what is inside me is resurrection power. And I'm believing, praise God, you're greater in me today than he that is in the world. So no matter what I encounter, 
No matter what I experience, I believe there is in me resources, praise God, that transcend natural human powers and abilities that go far beyond my intelligence, far beyond my physical strength, my emotional strength, my mental strength, my intelligence, and so on. I am not looking to myself. I am looking to you and to you alone, praise God, hallelujah. And I'm thanking you, praise God, for that ability to be imparted to me today. And you know what? I believe this. I believe the glory falls where there's a humble heart, he gives grace to the humble, the glory of God will fall. You will actually experience it. You will sense it. You'll even feel it in your flesh, praise God, as it just hits you on the top of your head and permeates your every being, every part of your being, every fiber of your being. Praise God. Thank God for divine enablement. Can you say amen? All right. Now, if the enemy can't get us, let's say to to cave in under the pressure of sin, if he can't drive us to alcohol, if he can't drive us to drugs, if he can't drive us into substance abuse, if he can't drive us into anger, drive us into a misuse of our tongue, he'll drive us to the mall and have us get in debt. You realize that? That went over the top of your head. <laughs> now some of you sitting back, some of you ladies out there like, Ooh. <laughs> look at verse 13. It is our responsibility to clothe ourselves with the armor of God. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able. We're talking about divine enablement, divine empowerment. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Remember when Saul said to David, you can't do this. Number one, you're too young. But if you're going to do it, you better wear my armor. He didn't say put on Saul's armor. He said, put on the armor of God. Think about how precious that is. That God says, look, you're going to need it because you're here on this planet still. And you're facing the enemy. God doesn't need any protection from the enemy. He's already defeated him. But he says, I'm giving you my armor. Think about that. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you have, may have the ability to stand, withstand an evil day. And having done all to stand... We're to stand. We're to stand clothed in all the armor of God. Once again, it reinforces the fact that it's not in our ability. It's not in our strength. It's not because of the resources that we have in ourselves. But God says, I have taken you aside unto myself. I have separated you. I have set you apart. And I will provide the equipping and the divine enablement that you need to carry out a plan, a purpose in my will for your life, praise God. So don't look to yourself. Don't look to your flesh. Don't look to what you possess. Look to power from on high, from above. And if you recall with his disciples, what did he tell them? Look, even though you've been trained, even though you've been educated, even though I've walked you through many things by modeling things to you, do not go until you are endued with power from on high. And to be honest with you, even whether you're playing an instrument or singing and using your vocal talents and abilities, you know, we should always be humble enough to say, before I pick that thing up, before I sing that song, I want to thank you, Father, for power that's beyond human scope. I want to thank you for an anointing and equipping upon my life, my ministry, my vocal cords, my talents, my abilities. I want to thank you, praise God, for just taking over my life. You know why? Because you want the anointing of God upon your life, upon your ministry, upon all that you and I set our hearts and hands to do. 
It's not by power, it's not by my, but by my spirit, say the Lord. Hallelujah. So just like Moses, he says, look, I will equip you and I'll enable you. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, he begins to describe the armor. Stand therefore, having done all to stand, stand therefore how? Having your loins girt about with truth. There is nothing more important than understanding our need for truth. If deception is Satan's number one tool, truth destroys his works in people's lives. There was a time when I thought I was okay and that I would be okay. And, and of course, I would pray that someday I'd make heaven. I was so deceived. And the thinking, I used to say this, that I could be good enough to make heaven someday. Oh, Lord, I pray someday I'm good enough to make heaven. I want to be with you forever in heaven. But I did not know Jesus, and I wasn't born again. I was not saved. I was not washed in the blood of the Lamb. People came across my path, and they began to try to tell me the truth. And I turned them away, thinking that they were lunatics, that they were crazy. But aren't you glad the Holy Ghost does not stop knocking on the door of your heart? Aren't you glad he continues to convince and convict us of our lost condition? No matter who it is out there that you're praying for, a loved one, a family member, a friend, a, an associate, a work associate, or whoever, you know, it's important for us to know that he may be using us at times, but he's also using other people because he wants them in the kingdom more than we want them in the kingdom. And the Holy Ghost is not going to let them go. He's going to continue convincing and convicting them of their need to come to saving grace. And it's going to take time in some cases. You know, like it was with me. It took time before I began to have it unraveled before me. And oftentimes you'll hear me say, you know, my father was used by the hand of God to kind of scare me into the kingdom as he came across and had me captivated and gave me the book of Revelation and telling me all these terrible things that were going to happen if you're left behind in, in everything. You know, but once the truth came, oh, thank God. Once my eyes were open and I saw the truth, what a difference it made in my life. Jesus said, now stay in the word so that you know the truth. And that truth that you know will make you free. Look at John 17 and verse 17. The truth is that Satan and all of his forces have been defeated. And that you and I have been made more than conquerors through the one who loves us. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. There's nothing that can take the place of truth. And truth comes by knowing the word. Jesus said, continue in my word and you will know the truth. I want us to look at the book of Ephesians chapter 1 because at the beginning of the chapter, he gives us an understanding of our need to understand this truth that we have power that's called resurrection power operating in all of our lives. It's available to every one of us to draw from if we only understand it. The Apostle Paul prayed that these people not would have more power, but they would have a revelation of the power of God that's in them. Look at beginning at verse 16. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention to you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice he didn't say, he, I want him to give you more power, but revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding 
greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Stop right there just for a moment. This is saying that you and I possess within us the greatest working of God's mighty power ever displayed on earth among men. We think about the acts of creation, how God created things out of, out of what? Things that are not. He brought into this realm everything that is by things that are not. He upholds all things, how? By the word of his power. That everything's been set in motion, praise God, by the word of his power. He is stronger and mightier than all the waves of the mighty ocean. For him it's nothing to proclaim a truth and speak a word and they stop along the seashore. And we can go on and list and list. There's nothing too hard for God, nothing impossible with God. If he has to multiply oil, multiply fish, multiply food, turn water into wine, walk on the water, call a sea, it doesn't matter what it is, even someone dead for four days, doesn't matter. Nothing is more powerful than the power of Almighty God. Except this is the greatest working of his mighty power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That means in the known world that we live in, in all the universe that we live in, there was a display of the greatest working of God's almighty power. There was a foe, there was some that opposed him, opposed his work, his will, his way, called the devil. Lucifer fell. He became an enemy of God. He wanted to overthrow God and so on and so forth. And they were all together, praise God. They crucified the Lord of glory, but they did not know the wisdom of God. And because they did not know the wisdom of God, God, they went ahead through with having him murdered, having him killed upon Calvary's cross. But had they known it would be to their defeat, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. But they didn't know that. And when God raised him from the dead, I do pray that someday you and I in glory get to see this display of power. That we begin to see at some point, praise God, exactly how Jesus entered the strong man's house, defeated him, stripped him of his authority and power, and then resurrected from the dead. But the resurrection from the dead was the greatest display of God's awesome power than in any other act of creation or any other use of his power the greatest working of his mighty power. And look at this. It's in you and me. This power that erased him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above, far above all what? Principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and put all things beneath his feet. Gave him to be head over all things, which is uh, for the benefit of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So what Paul is saying here, in the beginning here, he is also concluding at the end saying, we war against these spiritual powers, principalities, powers, and all these mights and dominions and all that. We war against them, but he's telling us this is the truth. They have been defeated already by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He has overcome them. He's made a display of them, an open show of them. He triumphed over them. And every single one of them have been defeated by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And they have no power over any child of Almighty God. 
And he wants us to have this revelation, to have this understanding. He's not praying for us to have more power, but a revelation of the power that already exists and is in every one of us. And it's called resurrection power. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he that raised up Jesus from the dead shall quicken our mortal bodies. How? By his power that dwells in us. Oh my goodness, what a time for shouting. You talk about shouting time. Yes, I know we'll shout when we get to glory, but they're shouting along the way. Hallelujah. We have on the inside of us resurrection power. And you know what? It's time for us to start looking more intently within. Because you see, we're trying to get things from without. But he says, look, my power is in you. It raised up Jesus from the dead. It's the greatest working of my mighty power, and it is in you. Start agreeing with it. Start proclaiming it. Start declaring it and decreeing it, and watch it work. Praise God on your behalf. Amen. That's the power is superior to all other powers. Look at the next one. It's also, he says, the breastplate of righteousness in that same verse. Verse 14, the breastplate of now we're talking about clothing ourselves with armor that the enemy cannot penetrate. Armor that will enable us to overcome every force of darkness, every deception the enemy throws our way. So in that verse 14 again, what does he say? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having on the breastplate of righteousness that protects us, yes, our vital organs here, our heart and all that. But remember in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 what it says? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. You know what? There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. I'll tell you why. There's nothing more debilitating than a person being f full of guilt and condemnation. And the enemy knows if he can deceive us into thinking that the only way we can please God is by being perfect in the flesh and not making any mistakes, he will browbeat us with condemnation until all we see when we look in the mirror is our failures, inadequacies, shortcomings, our inferiority before God. And will cower before God and before every enemy. But he said, no, you can't clothe yourself with all that. You realize it's like a cloak, it's like a clothing when all that guilt and inferiority comes upon us. And that's the enemy's hand oppressing us. You know what? Let's throw off the cloak. Because you know why? He made us. The righteousness of God. Whose armor is it? God's armor. It's not our righteousness. It's not based on our performance. It is based on his righteousness. It's based on his performance. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled every law that Jesus, that the Father ever established for men to obey. He fulfilled the law and praise God because he did. He was perfect in all of his ways. And when you and I accept him as our Savior, we have his righteousness imputed into our lives. We are the very righteousness of God in Christ. And there's no foe, no enemy that has any right to put guilt or sin consciousness or condemnation upon any one of us. Thank God you say, but what if I miss the mark and I've done it more than once? Follow God's own or Jesus' own teaching when he said, look, I want you to forgive 490 times a day if your brother sins against you. 490 times a day. 491, you might think about it. But if he told us to do that, 
Guess what? He's got to follow his own teaching. So I missed the mark, and you missed the mark. And you know you're going to miss the mark. But all we have to do is get on our knees before the throne of God and say, Father, you're a merciful God. You told me to forgive, and I do forgive. But I know I'm asking you to forgive me, and you will. I am not going to be browbeat by the devil full of guilt and condemnation. Praise God, because I know the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. And if I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, that I may be emboldened with the righteousness of God in my life to stand firm against anything the enemy brings my way. See, he knows he will debilitate the child of God with guilt and condemnation and prevent them from standing firm and strong against all his strategies and plans. So it's up to us to make a decision that I'm not clothed with my own righteousness. That's like filthy rags. I took those rags off a long time ago. What about you? I am now clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ. And that's why when I, I cringe whenever I hear a preacher saying, whether on TV or on radio, you know, I'm so unworthy to, to come before you. I'm so unworthy. For, they just don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know the sacrifice that he made. They don't know that the righteousness of God in Christ. He didn't do this in us. Make us his masterpiece so that we can browbeat ourselves. Look at the next verse, verse 15. This armor of God includes some pretty fine looking walking shoes. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Hallelujah. Blessed are the peacemakers. Anywhere you and I go, our feet are shod with the gospel of peace to let everybody know that we've been justified by faith. Hallelujah. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace means brings, he brings us together and reconciles us. We're no longer on the outside, but praise God, we're on the inside. We're together, connected together with the most high God, and we have peace with God. Now, I don't know about you. When there's no peace in the home, mm, it's not a good thing. When there's no peace... In, in a family, when there's no peace in the workplace, when there's no peace in any kind of school system, where there's no peace that's going on, there's nothing but turmoil, there's nothing but confusion, there's what? Every evil work that's taking place. But praise God, when there's peace and tranquility, shalom, the perfect word, peace, praise God, I'll tell you what, it's a wonderful place to be in. There's a divine flow of power. He keeps us in perfect peace when our mind is stayed on him because we trust him. Jesus is a peace I give to you. The world can't give to you. I'm giving you my peace. Praise God. Thank God for his peace. This peace that passes all understanding that keeps our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God that we can proclaim to people the gospel of peace. Look, we can tell people God is at peace with you and all you have to do is make peace with God. He's already done it for you. He made the sacrifice for you and our feet should be shod with this gospel of peace, the good news of letting people know you could be justified in the presence of the living God. And so that empowers us, that equips us to be used of God to reach people that are out there that are in need of saving grace. Have your feet, Sean. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, it also includes, and this is, of course, one of my favorites, which I'm sure you know that, the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. This shield of faith is a big shield. It's a shield that cannot be penetrated by the enemy forces. Whether it's a fiery dart, which means an arrow that's been lit, lit on fire, but sometimes they'll shoot your way to try to burn up 
you know, the cloth that's on your shield and all that to get through and penetrate it. But the shield of faith to quench every fiery dart of the devil. Faith is not in ourselves. Faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's in his accomplishments. Our faith is in what he did to redeem us from our fallen state. It's faith in his performance before the throne of God. It's faith in his carrying his blood into the high court of heaven. It's faith in the power and authority of his name that he was given when he was raised from the dead. Power to save the lost. Power to heal the sick. Power to cast out devils. Power to speak with new tongues. Power to take up serpents. Power, if we drink anything, it won't hurt you. Power, praise God, to do the works that we've been called to do. So you see, it's not in our strength or ability, but it's in his power and ability. And we can use the, quench, the, the, the shield of faith and quench every fiery dart of the devil. But it's important to note that our faith must have a foundation. The foundation, of course, being the word of God. Being the blood covenant. Being something that God spoke, something that God said that he will not lie and take back. He will fulfill the promise of his word if we believe it. And so our faith is based on this foundation. God said it. And that settles it. God said it. And he will not change. And I want to hold fast to my confession of faith. Knowing faithful is he that promised. Amen. Look at the next verse. Verse 17. Armor includes proper headgear. And a sword. The proper headgear. In other words our helmet is one of salvation. We've got to keep our head on straight. It is so easy for the enemy to come along and get us confused and make us waver. You realize that. The helmet of salvation. Our attention, our focus must be on our salvation. That's been provided for us through the precious cross of Jesus Christ. We must constantly remind ourselves of our need to renew our minds to the word. In the book of Romans in chapter 8, we see this very, very easily laid out by the apostle Paul. For they that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. This headgear that we need to keep on reminds us of our salvation. Of who we are in the spirit, not in the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. When I was growing up, I enjoyed running track, but I also enjoyed playing football. I may have been the smallest kid on the team, but I was also the most scared. Which means I ran faster than anybody out there on the field. I remember one time my coach came to me and said, sit down, you're done. It was, I said, coach, it's only halftime. He said, sit down. It's only halftime. I can't play the second half. He said, no. I scored four touchdowns in the first half. And nobody could catch me. He said, we can't do this to these people. Just sit down. You're not playing anymore. Okay. Because when you're out there, I was, I was a lot smaller than I am now. I mean, they couldn't find spikes small enough to fit on my feet. Right? Why am I saying this? Because I put, when I put on my helmet... I became a different person. Do you know what I'm talking about? You put on the headgear 
look out. We went to Volney Rogers Field in Youngstown, Ohio, in Mill Creek Park, which is where we had football fields where we played our games. I played for the parochial school, St. Nicholas team. And my coach was Bob Stoops, family of Stoops that coached in, you know, other high, uh, college, college teams and all that. Well, and Oklahoma, he coached at Oklahoma. And we had to go down there. I kind of figured this out after a while. It took me a little time to figure it out. And the whole team had to get weighed in because there was a weight limit. So they're over there getting weighed in. He said, he, they would call me Billy. Billy, you get over there. You don't have to weigh in. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I didn't move the scale very much. <laughs> they didn't need to weigh me. So he said, you stand over there and wait for us. We're going to get everybody else weighed in. I walked right over to the sideline. I looked at the two fields. 100-yard field over that side, 100-yard field over this side. And I stood right there at the edge. I put my helmet on. Like I'm telling you, it's like, the, it's like the Hulk. You know what I mean? And I stood there and I said to that field, I am going to tear you up this year. I don't even know where that came from. I think when I put the helmet on, a transformation took place. It's like I went crazy. And that's what I said to the field. I was practicing Mark eleven twenty three long before I knew Mark eleven twenty three. I started declaring it, decreeing it, and saying it. I am going to tear you up this year. Praise God. But my point is, when I put that helmet on, what a difference it made. It puts you in another zone. Unless you play these kind of sports, you don't know what I'm talking about. It puts you in another zone. Praise God. Have you seen some of these college players on TV? When they put that helmet on, man, look out, look out. They are focused. They are into it. The helmet of salvation. No, I'm not to get my mind, my thoughts on things that don't pertain to my salvation. The devil will try to get us to take that helmet off and think that we're defeated and think that we can't overcome and think that you know, there's no possible way that we're going to succeed. The mountains are not going to move. But keep that helmet on. No, I've been saved by the grace of Almighty God. I have the power of the name of Jesus. I'm keeping on my helmet of salvation. Praise God. And my focus and my attention are going to be on the things of God and not on the power that I possess or the power of this world around me. I'm not going to be one of those walking around saying, the devil's been after me all week long. You know how powerful he is. And I hear Christians say this all the time. He's doing this to me. He's doing that to me and all that. Well, it's time to put your helmet on and get in the game, praise God. Get off the sidelines and get into the game and start saying, I'm ready to go right now. I got my little spikes on. I got my helmet on. I am ready to go, praise God. I got it on my shoulder pads, my breastplate of righteousness, and I'm standing against the wiles of the devil and all that I do to stand I will do and I will continue standing praise God because why he made us more than conquerors to the one who loves us praise God and we're not victims we are victors by the blood of the lamb hallelujah to the lamb of God and then the other part of that is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God the sword of the spirit which is the word, and that word, we talked about this on Sundays, two weeks, this, not past Sunday, but the Sunday before, uh, is rhema, not logos. Two different Greek words for word, the word of God. The logos is the general counsel of God. It's the whole counsel of God. We see the logos here in this book, and from beginning to end, it reveals to us the character of God, the nature of God. Uh, it gives us a revelation of our redemption that we have in Christ. It's the whole counsel of God in that book. But the rhema is when God either takes a verse 
or by his spirit speaks a thought to us and tells us something that becomes personal to us. And that sword of the spirit is the rhema of God. And when we, which is why we need to be in tune with him to stay connected to the vine, to hear what he's saying to us, to stay in the word because he might quicken a word to us. He might be quickening a word to you here tonight that is specifically for you. And if you hear that with spiritual ears and you know in your heart that is for me and you take that and you embrace that and you make that your own, praise God, then what ends up happening is that becomes a rhema to you. And I guarantee you there is nothing that can take it away from you. And you know that God is going to bring it to pass even as he has spoken or as he has said. And you've heard me say time and time again is when we were in the birthing room with Andrew and those four words came into my ears. Fear not, only believe. And you're talking about a desperate situation. As a matter of fact, since fresh off of this meeting yesterday, Andrew had his yearly checkup, which they do an echosonogram and an echocardiogram. And, you know, you sit there and you go through the whole echosonogram, which takes about 40 minutes first. They do the whole thing. And then he had to go to another room and they did echocardiogram. And then the doctor will come in and explain all these different things and, and all that. And when she walked in, she said, there's my blueberry. He was born blue, like Brother Dave's shirt, about that color of his shirt. She said, I was there when he was born. I know how bad you were. And look at you, you're 17 years old. She goes, my goodness, I'm getting old. But look at you. And she said, look, nothing has changed whatsoever. He looks absolutely as he was which is great, which is good. Nothing is going wrong with his being. But she said, but there's one puzzling thing which we can't figure out. Anyone like him should not have a regular echocardiogram. But his is perfect. We just can't figure it out. We just can't figure it out. And we're just, Krista and I are just sitting there with a little smile on our faces. And thank you, Jesus. We can figure it out. We know it's the hand of God. But they said it shouldn't be that way. Well, thank God he can do exceeding abundantly. Above all we ask and above all we think. By the power, by the power, by the power that's working where? In us. See, we got to side with the rhema. We got to side with the word that God takes and makes alive to us. We can get it by reading the Bible and it jumps out off the page, if you know what I mean. It jumps off, off the page and it, you grab a hold of it, you take it, and you could bank your life on it. Praise God. Or by His Spirit, He may speak to you. Or it could be a divine visitation or an angel or a dream or whatever. But whatever it is, it becomes a rhema to you, a word spoken to you. It's like the one individual who for 18 years was a paraplegic and couldn't do anything. But he took the general counsel of God's word and for 18 years he just kept on saying that by stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed for 18 years. Can you imagine being in the same church for 18 years? By stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed. He said one day when they were in church, the Lord spoke and gave him a, a rhema. You ready to get healed today? I'm ready, Lord. He said, okay, I'm healing it now. He grabbed a hold of, suddenly grabbed a hold of his wheelchair. He tried to pull himself up and some of the ushers came to try to help him. They thought he had to adjust his seat. He said, don't touch me, the Lord's healing me. 
He's healing me right now. Proceeded to jump out of the wheelchair. Almost tipped over forward. And then collected himself and went running around the whole church. Running around the whole church. Everybody saw him. God gave him that rhema. I'm healing you now. You embrace it. You take it. Now this guy goes to the bank. (laughs) He goes to the bank the next day. And this bank where he banked all the time. They would see him come in with his wheelchair and all that. He walked in and said to the two clerks that were there. Hi, hi. They both passed out. (laughs) Just passed out. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Now you might say, well, why for all that time? We can't answer those questions. We can't answer those questions. But we know this. When God gives you a rhema, something's going to happen. Matter of fact, it's like when Jesus, you remember in, in Matthew 4, it is written. It is written. It is written. He knew what was written. He believed what was written. And when we're talking about a genuine faith, we're talking about a faith that says what is written and doesn't distort it or misuse it. You're not imitating someone else's faith. You're not being presumptuous. You don't have a faith without a basis or a foundation. Remember what the devil said? If you are the son of God, just throw yourself down. It is written that that the angels will bear you up in their hands. What is that? Presumption. If you were to do that, that's a baseless faith. You know, I told you about the snake handler who kept on saying, he's a healer, he's a healer, he's a healer. Yeah, but the snake's a biter, the snake's a biter, the snake's a biter, and bit his earlobe. The preacher's walking from, if you didn't hear it, he's walking back and forth, preaching like I'm, let's like right here, back and forth, got a rattlesnake around his neck. Talk about lunacy, baseless faith, no foundation for faith. He's going back and forth. This church in Kentucky. You can go online, you can watch it. And Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a healer. Praise God, praise God. Just a, a Pentecostal No wonder they think we're crazy. (laughs) Pentecostal church. All of a sudden, kaboom, bit him right on the earlobe. Blood's pouring out. Had a white shirt on at the tie, no no jacket. Blood's all over his shirt. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a healer. And before you know it, he's about to pass out. They had to carry him out, send him off to the hospital. I don't know if he lived or died. I have no idea. Now, that's baseless. There's no foundation to that kind of faith. You don't imitate someone else's faith. You're not presumptuous with your faith. You don't have a basis faith, a faith without foundation. You heard from God. And because you heard from God, that becomes your rhema. That's why we stay in the word. Okay, let's close it real quick. These, put these things up here, these five statements. Now, why clothe ourselves with the armor of God? So that we don't rely on our own strength. Doesn't that just take the weight off your shoulders it's not about me or my strength it's about his strength and what he's done number two to trust God's provision when challenged not our own we can get a little bit of oil and try to stretch it he can get a little bit of oil and multiply it right absolutely number three to remain strong in the Lord not in ourselves we got to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might not in our own strength or abilities not our own education and understanding uh, number four to enforce Satan's defeat he said you can't overcome the wiles of the devil in your own strength or ability. So we enforce Satan's feet and then we stay connected to the vine. It's his armor. Look at John 15 and we'll close it right here in verse 5. To stay connected to the vine. Being empowered. Here is our divine enablement. And it'll show you exactly what Jesus said. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, what can you do? 
you can do nothing. But we're not without him, are we? We're connected to the vine. Oh, let's all stand and lift up holy hands and thank God that we're connected to the greatest power. Hallelujah on earth, in the universe. Resurrection power lives in each and every one of us. Hallelujah. Glory be to God.